Hello, we've been expecting you. I'd like to welcome you to Thoughts from Aunt Wu, the Avatar podcast where we know the future. Today we will be discussing Book 2, Episode 5, Avatar Day. Today on my panel I have Charles, Hello. and nobody else. <laughs> so we've been away for a little while and I'd like to apologize for that. We had some technical difficulties on our last episode and I've been trying to find a workaround. Um, so unfortunately we, have not, we are not releasing anything about the swamp yet. I will release an episode for it. Um, I'm just not entirely sure if I'm going to be using assets from the actual recording or if I'm going to completely redo it. But we are moving forward with Avatar Day. When the swamp comes out, the swamp will come out. Um, the swamp doesn't really come into effect this episode, so I felt like it's kind of fine to go into Avatar Day. There's there's nothing really that matters in that last episode in this one. Um, so let's get right things. Let's start things off. Charles, initial thoughts. Avatar Day. I mean, there's some stuff that happens in it that's kind of interesting or foreshadowy, but I'll be honest, this this is like a filler episode for sake of filler episode, and I still love it for it. (laughs) It's great. Um, Like, there's stuff where there are small things that... uh, are brought up about stuff that'll happen in book three. Obviously, <coughs> get some uh, development of what's up with Iroh and Zuko right now, and it's cinematic. It's great from a visual perspective, but yeah, not much happens. So, I mean, I, I enjoyed it as an episode. I guess that's that's what it that's out to. It's just like there's not much, to yeah, deep dive into because, you know. More of a filler episode than anything else. Yeah, certainly. This is definitely um, the most filler of, of so far we've seen this season, and definitely the most uh, you know, and, you know, pretty much a pure comedic episode. Um, there are a few points here and there, and there are some things I want to talk about. Um, but for the most part, this is not going to be like um, last week's when we had the swap, which was you know this this pretty heavy episode. Uh, it had some comedic to it, but it was you know it was still pretty heavy. And some of the episodes we're about to move into, like Blind Bandit and, and Bitter Work and The Chase, which are you know a little bit more either super plot focused for story elements or really heavy on on, on like drama. This was kind of neither. This was this pretty lighthearted uh, across the board. Um, but there are a few little things I want to talk about um, across the board. Um, right off the bat, I think that we have the opening with the uh, rough rhinos and. Well, I don't entirely love. I I love them a little. I like them a little bit more in other episodes, um, specifically in the one where they they fight off with um, Iroh and Zuko. But I do like the Rough Rhinos as a as a concept. They're kind of a cool, you know, little ragtag team. Um, we get to see a Yuan Archer again, which is kind of a fun little callback to um, the uh, first Blue Spirit episode and. Um, just in general, it's I've I've, always, I've said many times I really like when they get to give non-benders a um, a bit of character, and this is a nice nice bit of that. Um, but obviously, still a pretty comedic uh, little fight scene here, and and we do have a great great bit of boomerang pining. Um, I like I like Sokka's line there with "We have time to go back for your staff and your scrolls, but not for my boomerang." And Katara's just like, "That's correct." Hey. Hey, it, it's it's like losing those curls. There, there's hair hoops and or the hair, hair loopies. Hair loopies are that arrow. 
Uh, yes. which, which actually happens eventually, so, you know. Yes, yes, it does. In general, this is a pretty quotable episode. There are a lot of lines that stick out to me as, as really fun lines. Um, the first really serious point I want to talk about, though, I, I, the one thing about this episode that I think is very important when you look at the franchise as a whole is adding some, some very nice history here and showing that the Earth Kingdom... Like we obviously throughout this the first series or throughout the you know the last Airbender the Fire Nation is the villain and we we think of the Fire Nation as the villain we think of the um, the Fire Nation as the aggressors and and it's kind of everything about the Fire Nation is kind of built that way we don't we don't see much else other than maybe Iroh and then you know later on Zuko for the most part we assume Fire Nation evil while and this is nice to show that the world is more complicated than that that yes in this 100 year period the fire nation are the aggressors of the world and they're 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 the quote unquote villains according to the avatar but at other points in history that's not true and in this case we have this earth kingdom town that that at one point was the the seat of this 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 vast empire um, behind chin and i think that that's important because when you look at the the philosophies that under or that, that underwrite this series, um, things like we're all connected, and and, and you have a, a, ser- a story that we talk about ten thousand years worth of avatars, and and there's been this vast vast number of them, and you know even if you just think about it, in this episode, we're talking about three hundred and seventy years like of history, like that's a long time, and it's nice to know that. The world does change. The Fire Nation is not always the evil ones. In this case, the the Earth Kingdom was was sort of the more villainous um, side. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, obviously, we only get a few details for just a few of the avatars throughout history. I think, uh, obviously, we've seen some stuff from Roku. And we know that when Roku was uh, training uh, to become the Avatar, the world was more or less at peace. <coughs> mm-hmm. um, or I guess when Sozin was still Prince. Yeah, when Sozin was still Prince, the world was still at peace. Um, yep. This is an example of Kiyoshi. Uh, when Wan was, became Avatar, there weren't countries, just turtles. So, yeah. And then... Uh, we've got, you know, this state where the Fire Nation is the main antagonist, and then eventually we'll move into Korra, where it's um, it's not like a country; it's just it's the Earth Empire. Would you? But that it's not even the case, right? Up until the fourth, uh, did they call them books again? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, the fourth book is is yeah. But that's the only one where it's a it's actually they're fighting against a sort of invade in a real pure invasion. Like the first season is kind of an insurgency. The second season is all spirits. Third season is you know dealing with one guy. You know, a ragtag team. Hey, the hey. only the only time where they're dealing with that nation. The Red Lotus is a pretty sizable threat. No lie. The Red Lotus is awesome. I love the Red Lotus. Red Lotus so much. But I mean, but yeah. So like that's. It's like individual antagonists or zealots, um, yeah. and yeah. So it's really cool that they take time to show us that yeah, the world does change. It sometimes it takes a long time, but uh, it's not yeah. always going to be the same. Um. Yeah. Definitely. Um. We change gears and we we have this 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 overarching plot with with Zuko and Iroh and. 
right back, I mean, I've, I've talked about how much I love the Blue Spirit music and the Blue Spirit in general. I, I just like how quick these scenes are. Like, you really get the sense of, like, you, you blink and you miss the scene, and you blink and you miss the Blue Spirit attacking. And I think that that's just a good bit of visual storytelling where you don't, they don't feel the need, you're just like the quick, really quick attacks, and then Zuko, you know, sort of the showing off his spoils um, and coming back. Um, the other thing, though, that this gets at is kind of the, the plot with Iroh that we've been talking about um, throughout this book. And, like, this is the episode that I feel like Cave of Two Lovers should have been, where Iroh is very wary of Zuko stealing and, and, and you know, sort of taking this path. And it sort of, like, sets in this weird place of, like, why was he so okay with stealing the ostrich horse and, and i'll talk about it in more depth later when we get to the the main speech that iroh gives but just like right here at the top i just think that it's it's just iroh's character has been a little bit unbalanced this season um i think and from this point on i think things get better and we can kind of just laugh i guess like kind of right away the way episode two happened but it kind of did happen and it, it just sort of that one weird thing about this whole book I mean, we posited there were a lot of uh, things floating around. Um, I know back then I said uh, it's because he may have lost sight of something to focus on. The thing is, I don't know for all that he, right now he's characterized as you know the older, uh, wise, I guess basically mentor for Zuko. Uh, he's not exactly. I mean, he's not altruistic is the best way I can put it. Um, mm -hmm. We, the Fire Nation is not a nation where you, you can be very, <laughs> or as it stands uh, during this avatar, or, you know, during this period, it's not a nation where you can rise to any high position without some kind of vindictiveness uh, you know being a little bit harsher or rougher or knowing when even if you are morally you know uh, upstanding knowing when to bend or having times where you would bend those uh, Iroh is not as we know <laughs> Iroh is um, revered for a lot of reasons so it's I mean, if you really wanted to give the benefit of the doubt, maybe it was like, well, the first time was written in, you know, a, like a really, really shitty situation. I guess we have no choice but to take the horse, otherwise we have no way to do anything or go anywhere. But then, mm -hmm. a lot of this, like, the stuff you see Zuko taking later on is excessive, if, it, if that makes sense. It's not, like, necessary yeah. to their survival, it's, uh, I decided to steal gold and buy a uh, gold teapot tea set yeah so but yeah we'll, we'll come back to that when um when mm -hmm. Ira gives the speech about hope yeah um we get the so now obviously Aang finds out about um about the the, the town's feelings about Avatar Day about the Avatar and another it's a comedic line but when the guy kind of says um He's going to kill us with his awesome avatar powers. 
Aang kind of could kill them with his avatar powers if he wanted to. I mean, he wouldn't. We know Aang. But there is something to be said that, like, I think we sometimes forget how powerful Aang is. And, we're you know, we see later in this episode, Kiyoshi, we kind of see, again, like, one of those real glimpses of, like, oh, yeah, the avatar is insane. And in this case, I, I just it's, it's interesting to think about where you have, unlike the Fire Nation that's, yes, antagonistic towards Aang, they're not really fearful of him. Um, and it's it's just interesting to see that that you you kind of postulate like what would happen if the Avatar ever kind of used his powers against like against the right thing. And also, this episode does have quite a bit of like how much of history is a matter of perspective because obviously we see Ang and we see everything from his perspective and how you know we we look at him. Okay, he's he's fighting off this invasion. The you know the, the Fire Nation is is you know driven by greed and, and by you know conquest and hang stopping that but there is a point about like well isn't that a, just a matter of perspective we just happen to be on the earth kingdom and anti-fire nation side and you know later on you know later in the scene when Sokka says you know like what does it matter if one town hates you you have a whole nation of firebenders who hate you and it's that kind of again like brings up this this fact that the avatar is a person does make decisions and it just you have to kind of wonder a little bit about like is the avatar always on the side of good or does the avatar decide what is good and then history remembers it as so uh i mean it's a pretty complicated point to discuss right um (laughs) A lot of modern discussion about wars in the world we live in. <coughs> you, you all right there? My apologies. Yeah, I'm fine. Um, yeah, a lot of discussion about wars we uh, that you know in the world that we live in border the same lines. Is it that you really fought for something right, or is it that the Victor decided, you know, the victors wrote the books so that they made themselves to be right. And mm-hmm. it's something that I don't think there's an objective answer, right? Um, mm-hmm. ob- yeah, obviously. Yeah, like in theory, you could say it's the Avatar's job to keep the world in balance. So if they're actually moving towards that goal in theory, you know they're always right, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. But um, as you say, like if you look at it from the Fire Nation side, they're uh, Aang stopping them from basically finishing the war. Uh, I- I'm pretty sure if Aang was left in the iceberg at the beginning of Book One for another, let's say, ten years, fifteen years, the war might be. Might be over. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty clear. I mean, even I'm coming out, the war still gets very close to ending. I mean, you know. Oh, the, yeah, that's right. The comet happens this year, so yeah, I guess it's guaranteed. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. Uh, war would have been over. Um, but then it's. I mean, it, and then this becomes even more. I guess you could call it more complicated in Korra, where. Uh, it, it's not like the antagonists are just big bad. We don't 
I yeah. think Corey mentioned this a lot at the beginning. We don't really have a sense of uh, what's the Fire Nation motive. Like, we know their goal, but why? Um, mm-hmm. Whereas, you could say a strong suit of Korra is that uh, a lot of the villains... At least two of them. Uh, Kavir and Sahir, at least, yeah. Yes. No, I, I, I mean, I definitely agree with that. I mean, I, that's why I think Kuvira and Zaheer are probably the best two villains um, in the franchise. I mean, Azula gets complicated. It complicates a little bit. But, no, I mean, I, I definitely agree with that. And, obviously, Korra adds the extra wrinkle of Rava and the fact that the Avatar is kind of the embodiment of light and goodness. And that kind of does beg the question. And I, I don't, like, I guess on some level, I don't think the Avatar could ever be truly evil, um, partially because of Rava and, and just the way the show is set up but you do ask the question of like what would happen if you had two two party like the fire nation is obviously way more powerful and like aggressive towards the earth kingdom but like what would happen if you had a fight between relatively two even sides that isn't really one invading the other it's just there is a war happening like uh, that's when you kind of have to start asking these questions um and the other thing that this episode gets at um i guess i'll just jump to this with kiyoshi is it does give off a little bit like Kiyoshi gets involved specifically because her home is attacked. And I do think it asks, like, kind of also asks the question because the fact that Aang is an airbender means he doesn't have a home, he doesn't have a nation anymore, and he's fighting sort of for the world. What happens when the Avatar is, like, working under one part's national interest? Um... And you see this a little bit as well in Korra in, 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 in season two or book two when Korra is like standing up for the South and like that does begin to get into these hairy circumstances and especially considering how much this town seems to hate the Avatar and, and have this real disdain for Kiyoshi. Like you do have to kind of ask like is part of the reason we, you know, Kiyoshi is doing this is to protect her homeland. Well, isn't that on some level like I'm not gonna say unfair, but it does put a different. It does show off a very different version of the Avatar to the one that we're seeing right now. I mean, you could call it balanced in uh, several year in a hundred year cycle. Every nation gets a turn. <laughs> well, probably more like four hundred year cycle, but is it no? It's. Oh, Yoshi yeah, yeah, is obviously the, the, extraordinarily old. No, the full cycle is four hundred years. No, you're right. Sorry, I, I meant like yeah, it switches so I mean, every. Yeah, well, one dies and the next one comes. Yeah, but typically the lifespan is relatively long. I mean, Kiyoshi and Roku have to be pretty old if it's been three hundred and seventy years since Kiyoshi was like an adult. I mean, because to be fair, Aang was in an iceberg for a hundred some odd years. But that still means that Kiyoshi and Roku were a hundred and sixty years of life between the two of them. And Kiyoshi isn't zero, so Kiyoshi had to be close to a hundred. Roku had to be in his eight. Like, you gotta figure that there, there, there's a... It's not like... Because I know that there's been a... There was a theory floating around that like do avatars die young because Aang dies pretty young by today's standards because it's like he dies in like his 60s it's like 70 years from the end of core of the end of last airbender is the start of Korra so you figure Aang dies 50 years about 
like 55 years from the end of TLA. So he's like 67-ish. Um, and some people are like, oh, maybe the Avatar dies young. But it doesn't seem that way with Kiyoshi and Roku. You know what? I'll, I'll blame the iceberg on this one. It's the iceberg's fault. Yeah, well, that was the discussion we had once about that was a that was a big fight we had about the the medical issues of going in an iceberg. Uh, yeah, that was a wild. Movie. I don't remember what episode that was, but that was a that was a fun one. It, it, it was probably one of the Roku ones, honestly. <laughs> I know it was one Delio Delia was on, so. Hmm. I can't remember them. Um. I just remember she was the one I was fighting with because she's like, no way. And I'm like, yes. Being in an iceberg doesn't do good things for the body. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm sure Corey would have argued with you about that too, but... Um, well, he'll argue with me about anything, so... That doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, it, it's true that um, the avatars aren't necessarily objective, I guess, is the best way to put it. Um, mm -hmm. And, yeah, the whole thing with Robert being a spirit of light is kind <coughs> of relevant, but we can see that that doesn't necessarily mean that you're the avatars are guaranteed to make the correct decision or, yeah. you know, or, or consider everything thoroughly. Um, and they pretty obviously have, like, free will and stuff so yeah so it's still a very like flexible thing and then a lot of i mean i agree i don't think they think they an avatar can just flip and become inherently evil i'm sure there'd be some a consequence there but like look at one uh he decided that it would be better to separate the spirit world from the human world and uh Turns out that that wasn't the greatest idea he had ever. Or <laughs> or it was the greatest idea, and Cora is an idiot, depending on your perspective. Hey, I shit on Ang all the time. I have to shit on Cora a little bit, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, down with the Avatar! Down with the Avatar! I I, hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I, <coughs> No, I'm kidding. I, I I don't actually believe that. I was just making it. Oh no, but I mean like, um, I guess there's actually. I never really thought about it because it was just like, well, first because I, I love Juan, but honestly, you know that he was introduced so you'd have a backstory for Rava for to wrap up book two, mm -hmm. and then yeah. the decision with um. Chorus decision at the end with this spirit world. I think it's book four. No, it's book two. It's the end of book two. Is the... Oh, that's right. The book four had the stupid spirit vines. Um, yep. Yeah. At the end of. Well, I don't. I wouldn't say I'm stupid, but yes, book four had the spirit vines. Well, I mean, uh, they were. Uh, All right. Let's let's <laughs> keep this from divulging into a full-on discussion of book four of Korra. Okay, because, but like... my point is like. Um, they made opposite decisions and that was based heavily on what their own personal perspective of the world was it's not inherently yeah. correct or inherently incorrect a lot of it is going to be based on you know 
each avatar's personal valuation, and sometimes I also think that they were living different lives. I mean, these were pretty different worlds. Yeah, exactly. Um, like, I think you could argue Wan's world needed this more, and Korra's world needed this more. The other way. No, yeah, that's what I mean, right? Like, you can't inherently say the decision was good or bad. Even if you're gonna take those factors into account, it's just um, so it depends. Some people in the world, in for Korra, might not like the spirit world to be, you know, joined again with the human one. Some people in one, like the people that went out into the spirit wilds to hunt and you know explore, and probably. Uh, are now not doing anything in yeah so it's it's pretty perspective based and then that brings it back to Kyoshi like yeah well you know I guess from these people who worshipped Chin the Conqueror um yeah Kyoshi must seem like a pretty shitty person <laughs> dumps yeah. their leader off a cliff or I mean, separated the constant, the island, and then. Uh, I think in their mind, it's pretty clear. Drop their leader off a cliff. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, uh, and you know, the same is for Aang, right, with the Fire Nation. So, it's just, I don't know. It's a hard question to answer. Um, I don't think, again, I don't think that avatars can be inherently evil, but I'm sure that they make decisions that other people would disagree with that um mm -hmm. oh yeah no question so after this we get what is actually one of my picks for one of my favorite comedic scenes in the entire show um i adore Sokka's little uh, play acting of airbending um i just it, it's so Sokka. it just i i always laugh hysterically when he just goes swish, swish, swish. <laughs> Um, airbending slice. Um, and then we get the little detective Sokka, the deer stalker hat and all. Um, you know, gotta, gotta, gotta love the, uh, references to British detectives. Um, and in general, just one of the things about this episode I really do just find hilarious. It's not, you know, it's silly, it's not that important, but it is very funny. Um, so another thing I want to kind of compliment from a pure visual standpoint, I, I do think they do, good, do a good job of making the cliff... Um, where Chin fell look almost unnatural. Did you almost get that feel that it, it looks like this is kind of a weirdly different cliff? Like it, it felt off to me, which makes sense because of the fact that it was just pulled away by a person. I kind of got that uh, sense. Like, we've seen the show already, so obviously we know that this is what happened. Um which makes the perspective a little bit different than if, say, you ask someone watching it for the first time, hey, does this cliff look weird to you? Yes, obviously. It, it, it's one of the things that you're only going to pick up on upon a rewatch, but I, I do think that there's... It, it does. It jumped out to me, and I know this is one of those little details that we noticed, but it's kind of the point of why yeah, we're here. Yeah, I mean, knowing that the... Knowing that it was unnatural, it looked unnatural. Like, that, <coughs> that happened, it looked unnatural, right? It, it's like... That portion of the cliff line didn't really line up with the rest of it. The um, like the plant life on it is a little bit different, and stops. And, and there's that one footprint there, which if you yeah. think about it, is super weird because it was three hundred years ago. 
or yes. 400 years, I guess. So, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, like, you, the, there's a lot of great visual elements to um, what they, to this part of the, um, mm-hmm. of the episode. Uh, yeah. The Sokka's mannerisms when doing the t- detective things are great. Especially with mm-hmm. the weird, the, the like dual eyepiece, I guess. Yeah, the monocle. Yeah. Or double monocle. I don't even know what you would call that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, so, no, I, I got that impression too. It, it did seem, it did seem unnatural. Mm hmm. Now, the one comedic thing that I don't think landed well was the cliche of kind of the the, the, the good guy goes to prison and the prisoners are, like, really nice and sensitive. Um, that, to me, seemed a little bit played out and, like, I don't know, a tad pedestrian for the show. Um, it wasn't terrible. It was just kind of, I don't know, seemed a little bit overly cliched. Uh, I was okay with it. I feel – I felt like the implication was that this <coughs> village is nuts. So – Yes. It would make sense. And, I, and we'll talk about the we'll talk about the justice of this village in a bit. I mean, these, these are some laws. These these are neo-American laws. It's Donald Trump laws. Oh. We're getting political Oh, there's here. something. We will. Um, we will. Oh. The the thing I wanted to mention about the um the prison, if you go back to the scene where Saga's telling Aang to airbend himself out of the uh stocks i guess if you look yeah at or when i was watching it i thought it was really weird and can clearly just remove himself without bending at all like i mean later he does no oh, no i mean the size of the thing is not right <coughs> oh i know so but he like takes it off like, like there's a certain point where he literally just takes it off I thought... Yes. In the second scene with the prisoners, he literally just, like, takes it off. Fuck, I thought he was still in them when he, they went on trial. He is. But he, like, wants to stand differently, so he, like, takes it off of his head and is, like, holding it. Damn, I thought he bent it off. No. Uh, why do I think... Oh, right, because... After that, he puts on the Kiyoshi stuff and right, yeah. and then the Rough Show. Okay, yeah. So, my bad. <laughs> I guess intentional. That's all right. Yeah, uh, another just like little comedic thing. Um, we go over and we get our, our return trip to Kiyoshi Island, um, and it is nice that um, as we we're talking about with perspective, um, get a nice little juxtaposition of two separate cities. Uh, you know, this one where they see Appa and everyone's cheering and, and crying for Aang and are willing to help them at all costs. Um, you know, that's just a, it's nice, we talk, if this, since this episode is so much about the perspective of where you live, um, it's nice just getting to see that, that stark contrast. Um, we get a reappearance of Foaming Mouth Guy, um, one of our, one of our favorites, uh, and Linz would be remiss if I didn't mention him. Um, overall, the, the middle of the episode is pretty much just um silly um i mean it is it is it is good comedy but i don't think there's all that much interesting to talk about um in, in sort of the final building of the case 
Um, the one thing I do think, and we, we were just touching on it earlier, um, when when the the judge or the the mayor says, you know, justice, it's just us. Is there like hints of authoritarianism here? Like, is there hints that Chin, as we hear, is like this cruel tyrant dictator created this society and like, is they, are they trying to? Is that is that there? Because I was starting to get hints of it, and something I've never noticed before, but I was thinking about this time around, like, are they, like, trying to make a statement, like, this this town is insane and, and like, has this crazy view of, of law and order because they were ruled by this crazy dictator? Uh, I got that impression, honestly. Like, you see, like, there's so much about this town that's weird. The main cast even says it at the end, too, like, Urasaka says this is the worst town. Yeah, the worst town we've ever been to. Um, so, <coughs> given that, you know that they want to imply it, but, uh, yeah, I'd say, like, definitely part of it is because they worshipped someone who was basically a... I don't know if you'd call them a dictator or if, monarch, or if a monarchy is just the system of government that Earth Kingdom has had for forever um mm-hmm. but regardless yeah they they adopted it and i i think there is a political statement in there somewhere just how deeply you want to interpret it is i guess up to the viewer like yeah. I, I think they're making a comment uh, about authoritarianism in general i don't think it was meant as a specific reference to any you know real life uh person or yeah it, it just it just struck me, and it does add something to this episode a little bit where, you know, we're, we're talking about... Because this town does kind of seem... Obviously, it's weird, but it kind of adds something to the, 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 the comedy of it where they are kind of making a point, and, and you can kind of justify why this town is so weird. Um, for me, the best... Not the best part, because the best part of the episode is Kiyoshi, but one of my... Another really nice part about this episode is... We get some of the best heroisms. Um, this is like some we talk about quotable this episode. Um, you know, we get the tea line with to be honest with you, the best tea tastes delicious whether it's in a porcelain cu- uh, pot or a tin cup. Um, and then the other in the darkest times, hope is something you give yourself. That is something that is the meaning of inner strength. Um, both of which are like really strong. The philo- like in the, the philosophy of Iro and and I I love the way he delivers them. I, I love the situation and how he's. He sees that, that that Zuko is going over the edge, and and he can. Um, this is him trying to pull him back. Yeah, it, it's really great. Um, obviously, Iro knows that Zuko's been stealing uh, to get their supplies, and I don't know, fucking Iro's just a great character. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to. Like, well, it's not hard to say more than that because you can obviously go into details of why, but it's I'm just restating what we've been saying for the entire show. <laughs> yeah, pretty, uh, pretty much. Um, the one thing I want to dive in a little bit though is when Iro Iro's point about in your darkest times, hope is something you give yourself, um, and the idea of that being inner strength. Um, it's interesting when you put that up against what Aang says in the Serpent's Past when he is at his lowest point um, after losing Appa and he says, you know, the monks told us that 
hope is a distraction, that you need to rely on yourself and, and forget about hope. And it's it's a nice sort of showing that for Iroh, hope is is actually inner strength, that, that being able to be positive and being able to see that there is a road ahead in which things will get better is a is a positive thing about yourself and something that can carry you. While when Aang sort of hits this low point and, and is, as Iroh says in this speech, like giving into his darkest um, impulses, for him at that time, he just can't see hope and is, is sort of taking a completely different philosophical track. And another, it's another thing, like I, I like that there's many different philosophies throughout this show and it gives this world a very diverse view of opinions where, you know, you, you can have different people believe different things and have them all have interesting merits and different di- interesting applications yeah um philosophy in avatar is part cultural part personal <coughs> um obviously iroh is not Okay, Iroh in Avatar The Last Airbender is not representative of the uh, average commanding officer or the average commanding philosophy of the Fire Nation. You Mm -hmm. could argue that uh, after, you know, after his son died at the Siege of Ba Sing Se, he pretty much went polar opposite to uh, what you know, uh, what his brother is like, basically, or what Azula is like to a degree. Mm-hmm. Putting the, you know, skill at firebending part aside, but like philosoph- philosophically. And I think that's important to state because um, a-, a lot of times we talk about how, oh, you know, it's just a cultural <coughs> difference, like Northern Water Tribe is different from Sovereign because they're geographically separated and they don't interact a lot. Fire Nation is clearly different from the uh, Earth Nation and the uh, well, I guess there aren't airbenders right now, but you know they were nomads, right? They were monks, so mm-hmm. um, part of that is cultural. But the thing, one of the things I love about Iroh is how, like, for him, a lot of it comes from his own life experience or from you know, his own struggles and you can you really see that in contrast to the, the rest of the Fire Nation's philosophy uh, yeah. I'm certain I didn't, okay, full disclosure I've read some of the comics but not all of them uh, I think some might still be coming out I don't even know yes, yes, they are still coming uh, I've not looked at them in many years but i'm certain right after losing Lu Ten, after the siege there was a time where iroh thought exactly the same way <coughs> had back then mm-hmm. and then through yeah. you know through overcoming that changed his point of view to the one where in you know in your worst times you do have to try and look for seeing a path forward is something admirable about yourself yeah, and I think that's also a really important point that you can see the difference between um, Iroh and Zuko here. Where for Zuko, this is the lo- I mean, really the lowest point. Um, you know, obviously it may have felt like that the lowest point when he got burned, but 
for him, like this is his point when he really has lost everything and, and it's all gone. For Iroh, it really isn't because this is nothing compared to the pain of losing your son. So it, it's also, I think, you can see that, you know, not only is, is Iroh sort of having more experience in life, but he's, in this case, just really like harping on this isn't like you can hit lows way worse than this and still come out the other side. And not that you're ever going to get over the death of your child, because I don't think you ever will, but you can at least begin to move forward and, and make something positive. And for Zuko, who's young and, and, and a little bit brash, and, and for him this is that truly dark point, it feels a lot worse. And I think that there, that, that adds something to, this, to this, this conversation here. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's... You know, for a for a plot light episode, there's a lot, a lot of stuff happens for Zuko. I mean, this is not this is a pretty heavy. I mean, this is a pretty heavy episode for Zuko, and there's some heavy stuff even embedded in the Yang stuff. Like, this show does a very good job of sort of like hiding its big philosophical points in these like weird, kooky, comedic episodes. Like, even Cave of Two Lovers has some interesting little like philosophical nuggets hit it in with you know singing hey hey we didn't bring up any of this in thought in all the <coughs> there was there was much less of that for that episode you are right you are right Although i guess you could say the whole thing is a lecture on fatalism and whether or not your actions influence really influence the outcome of major eh. All right, we're neither of us are English majors. Let's let's not go, let's not go too crazy. No offense to any English majors out there. Hey, a lot of some of our guests are um, are. I know, I know. <laughs> I am aware. All right. So, what I think is my favorite scene of the episode is is the Kiyoshi flashback, or the, not really flashback, the Kiyoshi like showing up. Um, I adore it. I love the way they color it. It kind of has an earthy look to it. Um, Kiyoshi looks awesome. Her voice fits perfectly. Um, this whole uh, the whole scene is just expertly done. Um, there's a really nice little touch that you see that Bossing Say is not colored in with the conquest. Like it is the impenetrable city. It doesn't get conquered. Um, and then you just get to see Kiyoshi. I mean, she rips land off of the side of a continent and creates an island and if you're not in awe of the avatar i mean this is incredible i mean you thought like roku when he showed up in 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 the in avatar roku the episode it was amazing like holy shit is this on another level like you just see how like what the avatar can actually do like they can comp- like rewrite geography at their will yeah it's a real demonstration of power there. Um, in, I mean, we've obviously seen um, some major events. Uh, both Aang and Roku have successfully quelled volcanic eruptions. Uh, but yeah, this is the biggest thing from any avatar, any bender we've seen up until this point, and I. I think you could say more or less the entire series, really, 
this might mm-hmm. be there from like a long term consequence standpoint, this might be the most impressive individual acts that you see. I I think I think so. I, uh, I mean, I think the only thing that might compare is destro- the destruction of the temple in Book Three of Korra. Uh, yeah, but it's not like. But even then, it's not a continent. Yeah. Yeah. Like this is just it, it, it utter insanity. Um, another part of it that I that I really like is I thought it was interesting in the Kiyoshi episode that they talk about how. Like, Kiyoshi's been able to stay out of the war so far. Like, it's kind of weird that it's like, how is Kiyoshi kind of, quote-unquote, stayed out of the war? But it does, you actually get a little bit of it here through some of the, the subtext of what Kiyoshi's saying, where, you know, she's saying, like, she created this island so that they would be free from invaders. So you can kind of get the sense that maybe Kiyoshi is a relatively difficult island um, to invade. Um, you also can say that clearly Kiyoshi is kind of independent from the Earth Kingdom. That they're that they are separate and and, and sort of something on their own right, um, and it, it just like adds something to kind of this innocuous little thing back in back in like the very beginning of book one that I'm not saying doesn't make sense, but was a little bit all like odd when you think about like what we know of the Earth Kingdom, and now like this kind of ties it together, and like that's not the purpose of this scene. This scene is meant to like showcase Kiyoshi's power and. Um, you know, fit in with this episode, but it's like one of those little subtle things they add in, and I love when they do that. Yeah, it's... We've said it a lot. I'll say it again. <laughs> uh, they do world-building extraordinarily well in this show. Uh, they don't... Like, they don't have to explicitly take out time to do it, but by putting enough detail into every scene, into every recollection... Uh, they add enough mm-hmm. so that you can come to conclusions about the, you know, the world that they built, uh, that are you know more or less the case. Um, mm-hmm. I I will say, if you think about it, though, there must there might be some other reason why Kyoshi's been, Kyoshi Island has been able to stay out of the war. It's not that difficult to get to it, right? Zuko managed it. I mean, yeah, obviously. I'm just like it. It, it just it, it seems like maybe there's some something more to it than just like it's a small island. Uh, I figured they just she just moved it out of the way, <laughs> so it's not like a mm-hmm. strategic target. Or moved it mm-hmm. somewhere so it wouldn't be a strategic target. So there, it'd like be it costs more to take the island than you would gain out from having it. Yeah, but who knows, right? It, that's I guess up to your interpretation. Yeah. Um, oh, we get our final moments. I'll, I'll, oh, I'll make a ahead. quick mention. I do like how uh, when they are in Kyoshi Island, when uh, Sakuma Guitar on Kyoshi Island, how he asks after Suki. That's nice. That's cute. I like it. Yes. Yes, it is. And we will we will see Suki pretty soon. Also, he uh, got over Princess Chiria pretty. Be fast. <coughs> I mean, I don't know about got over, but because keep in mind he does like have issues with fully going for it with Suki when they actually do see each other again. Yeah, but he does eventually. Uh, okay, he does, but I I guess that's fair. I don't think you could say yet he's over UA. I think it's just oh, what's Suki up to, and then you know. I don't know. He like looks so despondent when. Oh, he's definitely sad, but 
I don't like there's a difference between sort of going, oh, I might be able to see this person and oh, I'm over the girl I was with before. No, but there's like a oh, I can't see this friend that I got close to and a oh, I can't damn, I really want to see this person. Hmm. No, I mean, I don't deny that he really wants to see to see her. I'm just saying that like, I think that on some level, it's not. It's. I, I wouldn't say that he hasn't gotten over her until you've seen that, like, seen Sokka and Suki together. Um, and then when we do see them together, we know that there are some issues because you know Sokka, you know, find out says it. You know, at the first doesn't kiss her and all that. So I, know, I just don't think it's totally fair to say he hasn't got either, like he got over UA or anything. Okay. Right. That's that makes sense. Hmm. The ending with Iroh and, and Zuko, um, we get their goodbye and, and, and Zuko leaving to be on his own. Um, I really like the, uh, we talk about facial expressions in the show a lot. I really like um, the look Iroh has right before he turns back to give him the, hor- the ostrich horse. Um, you just can kind of see all the pain on his face. Um, and it, it, it's just a great scene that I, I really feel like you can, you could turn the sound off and, and know exactly what is going on. And, and that's like really the best thing you can say with, when you're talking about visual storytelling um, and considering like, you know, we're going to have now a couple of episodes where Zuko is, you know, is, is on his own and specifically an episode called Zuko alone. Um, they, I think they do a good job of setting up the emotional weight of, of what Zuko leave leaving means. Yeah. Um, it's really an excellent, excellently done scene. Uh, It's, um, I mean, we say it a lot, Avatar does it well, um, but the reason it bears mentioning that we bring it up so often is that look at other animated shows, they do not in any way do, you know, visual storytelling this well, um, and it just adds a layer of depth to all these scenes that, you know, makes <coughs> feel empathize with it that much more Um, Mm -hmm. that being said I I, okay well I I like the I'm not super fond of the stuff uh, I don't know like Obviously, we are re-watching this series so that we can do these episodes, um, but if you, like, just go on Raw Recollection, how much of the episodes with, where it's just Zuko do you remember really well? Pretty well. Because I only remember of, well, I mean, and it's not that long until, um... I mean, they're back together in the chase, which is... I believe like three or four episodes from now, so they're not. Yeah, it's alone not. It's not that, that long. long. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, uh, I don't know. I I think there's like a. I obviously there's a in in world, you know, re- reason that they work well together. But I mean, from a storytelling perspective, I think there's something missing. Uh, I don't know. I'm getting off track. 
Anyway, this scene is done. That's fair. I mean, we'll... The scene is done. We'll talk about... Ball. And, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about yeah. that in, you know, the upcoming episodes. Subsequent episodes, yeah. Um... The ending of this episode, you know, we, we, we get the final appearance of the Rough Rhinos. Um, you know, it's a it's a fun little fight. I think I do like to see that we get to see an Avatar using the fans again. Um, you know, those were Kiyoshi's fans, and, you know, Aang can use them as a weapon a little bit. Um, we get Boomerang always coming back, which is which is really nice. Um, and there is a little bit to, like, they are kind of burning down a village, like, in terms of conquest, which is kind of, you know, a little total war-y uh, for, uh, for some people's taste. Um, I mean, I, the fight's fine. I don't think it's anything particularly of note. Um, and, and oh. you know, the ending, the episode does end in a bit of a silly well. What's up? Uh, do you remember the wheel? Kiyoshi testifies. Yes, the wheel of punishment. Uh, and then she basically admits to it. So they're yeah. going to spin the wheel. Does it strike you the as odd? That, I mean, this is yet another example, right, of the writers trying to make us understand that this town is a little bit off kilter but why is being mm-hmm. boiled in oil next to community service it's not community service is further down but why are they on the same wheel i, don't even... I have no idea <laughs> I, I i i don't really <clears throat> understand why community service is on there other than just they wanted to have a joke about the end of the episode being community service i'm sure that was part of but like there was community service, there was oil, there was the shark one. I forget some of the other pictures. It was just... Eaten by bears, torture machine, yeah. uh, needle pit. Um, I think were the ones people were chanting about. So there were some pretty crazy punishments. <clears throat> uh, this this town, man. It's um... Yeah, I, I agree with Sokka. This is the worst town we've ever been to. Yeah, I mean, going back to the Refriders, um, it's, again, demonstrated how the non-benders, the guy with the dynamite is cool, uh, the archer is interesting, um, I, of that, actually the part I think I like the most is the, uh, section where Sokka, like, glares the, um, Uses a monocle to put a glare in the archer's eye and then makes him. Oh, yeah. Hit the dynamite with the flaming arrow. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's It's a fun little fight scene. Not spectacular. Sokka, had a, Sokka always has some fun little moments. Yeah. Yep. So, that's going to wrap things up. So, thank you, Charles, for being here. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash auntwoo underscore pod. You can also follow me on Twitter at stack underscore mode. That's S-T-A-C underscore M-O-D-E. Wait, so what are you rating um, this episode? Oh, yeah, we didn't do ratings. Wow, um, really silly. Um, so, yeah, rating. Final thoughts and ratings. Let's let's ignore what I just said. Final <laughs> thoughts and ratings. Charles, go ahead. No, don't ignore it. Follow Mark on, follow Mark on Twitter. Follow, follow the show on Twitter. We we need it. Yes. We really do. <laughs> uh, final thoughts It's a fun episode. There's some serious elements, and if you analyze it as deeply as uh, we typically do in this show, um, even the primarily comedic portions have serious elements. Um, if we wanted to, or 
uh, if it made sense, we could have talked about, you know, how uh, Earth Kingdom authoritarianism back then pairs with, let's say, the Fire Nation's attitude now, and is it perhaps one led to another? God knows mm -hmm. how far Chin tried to conquer the world back 400 years ago. Maybe, um, maybe Sozin's grandfather was like, well, if they're going to do it, I'm going to do it too. <laughs> well, Sozin started the war. Sozin's grandfather did not. Well, so. no, uh, but I mean, like, culturally, right? Like, if you if you were yeah, invaded, would you be more likely to, you know, think militarily or think in military terms or, uh, you know, think more peaceably? So it's that kind of thing. Yeah, no, yeah, I understand what you mean. And then, um, obviously, there's a lot of psychoanalysis you can do with Zuko and Iroh, and um, depending and interpretations on what the hell is going to happen now that they're separate. And we'll get into that in upcoming episodes. But uh, just we say it a lot. I'll say it again. It's a great thing that Avatar can bring up or make a lot of these points pertinent just by their visual representation. Like, they don't stop and say, hey, you know, this is about authoritarianism or, you know, hey, this is um, Zuko at what he considers the worst point in his life and um, someone who's been through worse, who's trying to help him get through it but can't, uh, it, but because of their different experiences, they see the same situation very differently. Uh, so, yeah, it's just like something Avatar does well, and that's fantastic, but it does that well every episode, well, almost every episode, if you take out the Divide and certain other ones. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's a fun episode, there's some deep points to it, and there's a lot of comedy, um, Detective Sokka's great. I think all in all, I'd give this an eight and a half. I enjoyed it. I had a couple laughs, and then after watching it, I did give food for thought. Yeah, um, I think everything that Charles said was completely spot on. Um, I think that this episode is definitely, at first glance, very um, comedic, and at other points is, um, you know, very very heavy. Um, and I think they just do a good job of balancing it. I think as comedic episodes go, this is just a really, really strong one, and I think they just do a, do a great job um, overall. Um, I think this is a, is, is a truly, uh, a truly pretty great episode. Um, so I will rate this an eight point seven. Um, I think this is just probably the best like comedy first episode that we've seen so far. Um, like there, there are other, obviously episodes that are better, but in terms of pure like episodes that I that obviously they were writing to be comedy first, I think this is probably the best one so far. Um, we'll see how much that holds up as we get into the rest of the series because there are some some very good comedic episodes um, still to come. So I already went through the Twitter stuff, so uh, thank you. Uh, so I'm gonna, we can ha we have that already, so uh, you can follow us on social media. Um, we should be back. Uh, again, as we, we move forward into the real meat of book two, we've got some exciting guests coming up, so look forward to that. Uh, thank you, Charles, for being here, and uh, uh, thank you guys for tuning in.